OTB Sports Rugby. Do you want to just take it easy, keep the emotion in check? That's not what sport is about. It's about emotion. It's about singing your national anthem with pride. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because... They're my life, you know. People have offered them my life, you know. And I, 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 I love, I love, I love my county, you know. We love Jamaland. It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake. And sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. You're very welcome along to episode three of season two of the Hurling Pod. James Gell, Paul Murphy here to. Not look back on any games from last week because we just had the break weekend with the Fitzgibbon Cup final. We've got an interesting third week of fixtures coming up, but uh, plenty to talk about, plenty in the news over the last week. How are you getting on, lads? Great, lads. Great. All good, thanks. Now, we're going to dip directly pretty much into some of the questions that have come in from the listeners from last week's episode. But you said to me, Skell, straight away, the first feedback you got last week, criticism of your language from last week, from <laughs> your own house, I believe. Yeah, my, my mother would have said to me that I was letting the side down. She goes, I taught you better than that, so don't be using profound language on a national platform. <laughs> so I'm going to try to clear up my match. But it's um, just, I, I only ever use bad language, uh, obviously on the pitch when I'm getting a bit excited, but also if I talk about something that I'm passionate about, if you like, sometimes I can't portray it in the cleanest manner. <laughs> was your response not straight away, well, you obviously you didn't teach me better if I was using it in these uh, moments of high tension during the pod last week. Yeah, but then I probably could get a right hand, hand across the face if I said that's where... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right, well, before we dip into the questions, I'll come to you first, Kel, because you're involved with the Galway minor management. And I was listening to Paul Bellew, who was on OTB last week, and he was making a very strong case uh, for the idea of the Galway minors coming into the Leinster Championship. That was just a couple of days before uh, Congress voted on Motion 14. It was passed yeah. quite comprehensively at the weekend, uh, which means that Galway are assured of the place in the Leinster Minor Championship for the season coming this summer and then there'll be a discussion in 2024 to see whether they'll be in Leinster or Munster but I get the feeling it's probably going to be Leinster as their new home. I, I would imagine that you're welcoming this decision to give Galway a place in Leinster now. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's a, it's a natural step of progression. Uh, obviously Galway entered into the Leinster Senior Championship back in 09, I think that far, that far back or 10 even and then we progressed with the 20s and I just think it's it's good for... I think it's good for both, to be honest. I think it increases competition in Leinster. I think it develops our, our younger players better. It'll probably assist in developing opposition players better too. It increases the profile of the championship to, to a degree, uh, evens it up as well from a numbers perspective. And I just, I think it's a win-win for everyone. Um, and I I understand like there, there'll always be, how would you call them, traditionalists who would, who would probably meet this kind of decision or this kind of motion with a degree of reluctance because they, they like what they have, the current model, and they're happy to proceed with it. And, no outsiders. I understand. I get that. But like from our perspective, we're looking at it solely from, uh, I suppose, development. That's all. Like we're, I think everyone in Galway, whether you're affiliated with the minor squad or uh, the Hurling County Board or anyone, else, you are quite happy to, let's say, forego the possibility of winning the, the, the number of championships we've won in the past, if you know what I mean. All, all while looking with one eye to get more young lads developed. Because there's a big question in Galway for, for years since going back to the early 2000s when you look at all the minors that we've won. Where are where where are they when it comes to senior? So that that's a that's a huge question. Why why aren't we developing them sooner? Like why aren't we getting them moved on 
in a greater percentage than what we have uh, in years previous. And I think one big word is development and getting them into more games. And I think Paul Bellew had a great point where he said that the Galway Miners would play, uh, it would take them three to four years to play the amount of games that, that the likes of the Kilkenny would play in one season. So I suppose young lads are getting exposed to, to, to top-level competition against other counties at a much more regular level in the likes of Leinster and Munster. So I just think it's good for, for Galway to go in and I think it's good for the sport in general. Yeah, like, can you understand where maybe some of the Leinster counties were a little bit concerned? I though, do. Because yeah. it's like yeah. Paul Bellew said in the same interview, last year there was a certain romance about the idea of Leash and Offaly knocking out Kilkenny, Dublin, Wexford to get to a final. So therefore you had an unusual kind of final and there was all the atmosphere around it. It was probably the worst year in a way for Galway to be making the argument about coming into Leinster after two of the smaller teams had got to a final and Offaly yeah. had had a good run to the All-Ireland final as well. That's not going to happen every year, though. Most years it's going to go back to particularly in recent times Dublin and Kilkenny contesting the final Galway coming back in should mean that there's more competitive games in theory in Leinster now. yeah um, and I, I for, for, to take, take you up on your point like I, I agree like I think the, the word you used was, well, it was a great word in terms of romance like and you, when I I don't think ever off memory I've seen a crowd gather in Port Leash like we saw for the, the final last year um, was there something like 10 or 12,000 at it for a minor game yeah, I think they were they weren't actually able to get a proper official attendance on it because so many under sixteens had gone who didn't need to be ticketed when they went through the gates. But yeah. it was it was well in excess of thirteen thousand in the ground on but, the night. But, anyway. but point being, the game itself gained an awful lot of attraction because the two teams who wouldn't regularly be in that position, you could say. And I fully I fully understand. I, I get it. Like I get that that the I suppose people they have hope. You know what I mean. So if you're coming from a county like uh, let's, let's call it a Westmead, and I know more, I don't know was it in your time. Maybe the time after that, Westmead's. I think they knocked out Kilkenny in the Nursery One Championship some years ago. Like that, yeah. that's, that's a hope. Like and mm. and people in the counties of Westmead and those players, that it's not like a dream that that might one day happen. And when you introduce another, I suppose hurling powerhouse, maybe that dream gets gets diminished a bit, or the or I suppose the likelihood of this of that happening decreases a touch. But look. I, I, on one side I see that and I, I also am coming from a degree of selfishness too on our behalf you know I, I have to put my hands up and say look that I'm looking from the Gory perspective and saying that I'm looking at our kids going well I want them to develop as well <laughs> you know and if we don't win the Leicester Championship that's absolutely fine we want the competition that's the first thing we want the, we want regular competition whereby you're guaranteed possibly five or six games you know and they move on to that Ireland series but we just want competition we want to expose our young, young guys to the to a regular competition numerous games uh, the preparation all that's got to do with it and, and see how we go on and if we don't win it that's fine do you know what I mean we're, we're, don't get me wrong we're, once we enter we're aiming to win it uh, aiming to win it all but if we don't you know at the expense of getting development that's fine mm. Paul Kilkenny are always going to be competitive that's not going to be a concern with Galway coming into the province at minor level but can you understand maybe some of the resistance of the Leinster counties which was look eventually overcome with the vote on Saturday last yeah, of course you can. There's you, you could make really good arguments for both sides, um, but particularly looking from what would be perceived as a few of the, uh, not to call them weaker counties, but not not like, let's say, Kilkenny's or Dublin's or Wexford's, who maybe are a bit more consistently in these finals. Um, I can understand now the pool is deep and a small bit more with the, if, with the introduction of Galway into it, and it can become, well, it will become that bit tougher um, to go and win a Leinster Championship. But nevertheless... You know, you go back and you you ask the Offaly lads last year or the Leash lads being in the Leinster final, they were there fair and square, they were there in merit, and they were there because they'd beaten the best teams. Um, and I would argue that that is the, 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 should be the goal for any county, is to eventually get to the pinnacle where you can say, OK, it wasn't just a moral victory or we bet teams within our own category. We are here because we are the two best teams in Leinster. 
So if Galway comes into that, you can guarantee in the future we'll have more days where the likes of Leash will go out and potentially beat a Galway. And that'll be an unbelievable day because so many people in Leash Hurling or Offaly Hurling, you know, of a certain time would have said that seemed like a bit of a pipe dream a few years ago, depending where where our counties were with Hurling. But I my belief is that I, I think it's a good thing that Galway come in, again, particularly from Galway's point of view, that their youngsters are getting more competitive games regularly. It's what they'll transition into anyway at under 20 and, and, and senior level. So introducing them to that minor. And again, a big argument to be had is the amount of games, um, like was argued already, that you know Galway youngsters are waiting around a little bit too long to get all those games that the Leinster and the Munster players are getting. And I was with the Kilkenny under 16s uh, two years ago and we played Galway, um, two of our teams played two Galway teams in, uh, in Castle Comer and Kilkenny. I just remember seeing the Galway lads, they were a great team, um, great panel of players, physically really big fellas, lads who look like they've done serious conditioning over the years. And, you know, thinking back to that, I think what a pity that these players aren't getting more games and a chance to test their own metal. And that'll only stand to Galway really going forward. But I do understand the argument of smaller counties maybe saying that, well, this makes our job a little bit harder. But, you know, we're always keeping our mind on what um, improves the competition across the board. And that's something I think as a whole we have to look at, what improves the competition. And I think it's also other counties, maybe the likes of Antrim and these, can look at it for reference and go, well, maybe this is the way we sharpen our steel a small bit for our senior teams, is that our, our underages potentially step into Leinster, for example. So I think it's, I do think it's a good decision. Um, and it'll only prove, I suppose, to make that Leinster minor championship that, that bit more intense. Right, well, we're going to call this new segment Matters Arising. It's a tentative title. We may well change it around, but uh, plenty of correspondence coming in from last week's video and also on the Instagram and on Twitter earlier today when I threw out a search for a few questions. And, Paul, let's start with Gerald Ogue, who was one of the question makers last week as well. He says, if the Galway champions were to now join the Leinster Club Championship, which is something I think that was tentatively being debated last week, it's not necessarily something that's going to happen, but it's something that's been looked at. How would you redraw the structure as a result? Now, to me, this is a very complicated question because in the senior championship, I think you'd probably want the clubs going directly into the Leinster senior. But there is other divisional competitions in Connacht to think about as well, where if the Galway teams were to be removed from that, it would possibly wreck the structures of them. What do you reckon would be the way to do it, Paul? Well, for me, the big point um, or the big area, the catch point would be the All-Ireland semi-finals for me, I think there'd be a complete dead rubber if the if the Galway champions enter Leinster and whatever happens in Leinster. But let's say you have a, a Leinster, Leinster playing Ulster, for example, champions, and then you have the Munster playing Connacht, and there's absolutely most likely going to be a hammer and happens there. Like at the moment where we have the senior club championship, invariably we have two really good semi-finals, which is brilliant. Um, I'm not arguing against the Galway champions coming in. The other side would be, which I'm sure James would argue here, is that the Galway club champions, um, again, it's going back to our last point in that they probably would like to keep the intensity up in their games after they play outside of Galway, which maybe they're not getting. And they can get that in Leinster. And 100%, I agree with that. But I think if, if that does happen, you would have to have a look at the restructure potentially of the semi-final stage because there will be a draw will happen and you will have a, a lopsided draw where the team on one on the other side, and, and we'll be talking about this in a few years. That'll be the next problem we're talking about is how we restructure. So I would say if if the GA are looking at putting Galway into Leinster, you would, I believe, for a more competitive All Ireland Championship, look about rearranging it 
not that they say into a Champions League type style, but you certainly would have to look to balance the books so that there isn't a great group of games in provincial championships. Then suddenly you get the All-Ireland stage, look at the draw allows one side take an absolute hammer in the end of the year and we go into a final then. I think there's a small bit of a roadblock there. So if it was a case that Galway were to enter Leinster, I would say potentially then is the stage also to look to restructure the All-Ireland Senior Championship, which would receive a lot of resistance. So I don't think there's an easy answer to that, but that would be that would be my answer to it. Yeah, like Skell, it's mouth-watering on the face of it if you were to look at a Ballyhill Shamrocks versus St. Thomas's match, say, in a Leinster semi-final a little bit earlier in the year rather than waiting for an All-Ireland semi. And there's plus and minuses right now for the Galway champions having to wait until the All-Ireland semis. In theory, it's an easier route. On the other hand, it's fewer games before they come into that match. But it is very <coughs> complex, particularly when you consider those lower-grade competitions. Like, would Galway have to move en masse or would you just move the senior champions? Um, I, well, personally speaking, it's my own opinion. I think it would be a travesty if we moved the, the I suppose, the intermediate championship uh, from from any position of its current. So, for example, now where you had, uh, it, if the Galway intermediate champions will enter into the obviously the current intermediate championship, where they'll meet the likes of a Tourine from Mayo, or they'll meet like a, a Four Roads from Roscommon, and that that team then whoever comes out of current will represent the, the province in the intermediate championship, and that structure seems to have worked fine. You know, there's no issues. Touring got to the final this year, intermediate, and we're pipped. And Eski from Sligo got to the junior final, and we're also pipped. But the fact of the matter is, they got there two very, very competitive games. So I suppose the, the proof in the pudding, it looks to me that that structure is working. So I'd leave it alone. Yeah. If you're talking about the senior, um, I think you're going to have to look at the county model then, because for years and years, the Galway senior team entered straight into a semi final uh, back in 70s, early 80s. Like even they, the Ireland's are won in. 8788 let's say uh, they go straight to semi-final which as you said will has its pros and cons like you, you, you you're, you're A meeting a team who's battle hardened and then you're B you're, you're, you're the opposite so you could be caught cold you could get lucky etc and I think if you're to look at the, the Galway champions possibly going to a province you'd have to look at today's current model because it took the GEA some 20 odd years to figure out what to do with Galway <laughs> straight up like what do we do with them and we tried if you remember back in uh, into a quarter final, we tried qualifiers in the early 2000s and then eventually we landed in Leinster and it seems like that has been probably the best model the GEA have produced to date so if you're going to look at what to do with the Galway club champions you're probably going to look at the senior model in each county and go right something something similar however in that on the same breath in there's a whole host of games uh, that have to play in Leinster to get to a Leinster final and I just don't think the calendar season or the club season in general is able to facilitate that um, like split season is a different story but if we're if you're to add in another team, another raft of type of fixtures, group schedules, Champions League style, as Paul said, it just it, it further broadens out the, the fixture list and co- probably cause a bit, a bit of chaos. Um, is there is there a full requirement? Like I I I always hear uh, teams from other provinces given out that the Galway teams go straight to the the semi final, and I I again I get that completely because it looks like they're getting a, a handy route. Uh, so for more times than not. However, I think if you if you were to give the options to the Galway clubs, do you want to enter a provincial championship? I'd say, I think they'll take your they'll they'll take you up on it because again, like they want to win a championship on merit. And if you look at the teams that have won in Galway in previous, they've all won on merit. But sometimes it's a little belittled, if that makes sense, because of the route they went. So, look, it's not an easy one. It's a, it's a difficult one. I think it'll take trial and error. Mm. I don't think we're going to fix it in next year and say right that's the way forward. I think we have to come to a, a semi solution implement it and then re-evaluate it after that year and then, and then keep trying to learn so we see where we get to so it's a difficult one 
Yeah. I don't know if we're going to fix all the woes of the GA right now, Paul, but <laughs> something that popped into my mind last week because um, Mick Foley from the, the Sunday Times had replied to a tweet that I had up, which was about Galway coming in. And I said, look, I'm broadly supportive of Galway coming into the Leinster Championship, but Leinster GA need to find a way to actually get the other counties outside of the core group of three or four hurling within the Leinster Senior Championship right now because there is that feeling that now Galway are going to be very much enshrined at minor and senior level as members of the Leinster Championship. Antrim have already hurled in it, Kerry have already hurled in it and there's this feeling and we'll talk maybe about the Kerry motion a little bit later where they'll go into Munster if they win the Joe McDonough but there has been this feeling that Leinster is almost like a development division and Munster is sacrosanct and can't be touched. Do we ever get to the point, Paul, where we maybe abandon the provincial championships or are they too embedded within hurling to actually consider breaking them up? No, I don't think they're too embedded. And that's not me saying that, yeah, this is what we should do. But, you know, we are constantly evaluating uh, to, the, to the stage at times where it's it's not a case of it, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But sometimes we do try and fix it. But I do think Leinster is the example of, like, I know Munster, the, the, the stereotype is that, you know, people are so proud of Munster that that can't be touched. And, and, and you know, it's it's the greatest uh, provincial championship going. But um, I no think what, the greatest championship ever, ever. any competition, <laughs> any, any sport, any sport yeah. <laughs> ever. But I, I, I think I think what we've seen in Leinster is that for progress to happen, you have to, you know, I suppose, let go of the shackles of, of what has happened before. If that's what is for the benefit of the sport. Um I'd never say never in these scenarios. Like I'm sure you'd have people who would argue, sit into this forum and argue, say that, no, you can't. You can't step away from this is the tradition, it's the Munster, it's the Leinster and so on. But if it's to be, if the sport is to suffer because of it, somewhere down the road, well, you do have to let go of it. You have to go, okay, um, either A, we have so many teams knocking on the door to facilitate them, we have to get rid of this structure, or B, we've gone so far down the line, the teams have gone so dominant to bring those teams back in, we somehow have to restructure. Because you can see questions even coming in from the comments about the league in that, should we restructure the league um, you know, to facilitate maybe teams who aren't that far away from the top tier teams? But those questions, whether it's league or championship, they're still relevant. You can't just say they apply to the league, but they don't apply to the championship. So I think what Leinster has been, if you want to call, you know, uh, Munster the traditionalist uh, championship, well, Leinster is probably the progressive one in that it's yeah. very, it's very inclusive and it's saying, listen, okay, right, Galway are over here to the left, for example, 2009, we'll bring them in, and the Leinster championship has definitely benefited because the competition across the board is 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 really good, goes through peaks and troughs, but certainly is really good. Um, and there's there's real rivalries there now as well. Like, you know, Kilkenny and Galway, who would have traditionally only met at the latter stages of all Ireland's, you know, are meeting regular now, which is brilliant. The likes of Dublin, Galway, Wexford, Galway, Galway and so on. So I think this idea that you never say never, that you can't go away from the old is, you know, the rock you'll perish on. Because if the situation dictates that the game quite obviously will be better if we remove ourselves from the Leinster and Munster championships. And okay, we just say that was not a, a great period, but our games are now at a different time. Well, that's what needs to be done. So I would never have the mindset that you could say, no, what we have now is what we're always going to have because it'll become stale. But I can't see it yet needing the restructure of just getting rid of the Leinster and Munster. It's not there yet. What do you reckon, Scal? Um, <clears throat> so I can understand why, you know, we go away if at Inter Leinster. I can understand why Antrim obviously have because I suppose in our in our in both counties there's a, there's a large degree of separation from ourselves in Connacht and Antrim in, in Ulster. And I I do understand. And for, for me to make an argument not against anyone, but for, to make an ar- argument against someone's viewpoint, I have to understand where they're coming from. And like so, it's either tradition or 
evolution. You know, so Leinster comes across as a as a province that has evolved uh, through innovation. You could say with incorporating ex ex counties, but then traditionalist. Then um, I I hear what they're saying, but I just think to have a, a it's a fantasy model. You know, they they think about years previous. Um, and they go back to the 90s and it's, it's like the words used while they go away the romance and they can quote X amount of games and look I'm a huge Munster Hurling fan too I just think the game has evolved I think it's I'm not, I'm not saying we're going past one championship we can still have our championship don't get me wrong mm. but where you have a championship whereby you actually you know limit one of your own counties from participating I have an issue with that you know I, I really do like if you're if you're telling one of your own counties like who are geographically situated within your province that you can't partake you have to go to another province just because we love our five teams here, our six teams, you know, I have, I have a problem with that. And I just think it's just, it'll, it's a bit stagnant, you know. Um, how do you fix it? Like, you are ultimately going to end up in, like what Murph was saying earlier, while ago, uh, a cross group, uh, a Champions League style format where you basically throw every team into the hat. And I think that'll make, meet huge resistance. I don't think the GA in whole, I think truthfully we're probably six, six to ten years away from that. Honestly, I don't, I don't see that happening at all. I, because you have to take in baby steps. You have to, you have to start in, in the clubs and then go into the underage structures, etc. And then see, can you evolve it into the senior set, setup? And I just don't see that happening anytime soon because there's just too much for all men around the Munster Championship. And, you know, if I if I was to pick up the phone and ring a chip lad, he'd go down my throat if I mentioned to go down, you know, about eradicating the Munster Championship and going to Champions League format. So I haven't the answer, Will. I tr- truthfully don't. Um, because no matter what solution I come up with, It'll be shot down today, tomorrow, next year, and for the next five years. Because just the people in that province are in love with Munster Hurling. <laughs> so. The only thing I can see happening, Paul, maybe in the medium to longer term, is that there's a possibility that some of these rivals get a little bit stale around the rivalries if the current format with the, you know, effectively what I'm going to call a league stage of a provincial championship continues. And like we've seen with the National Hurling League now, where 1A is very much dominated with a lot of Munster teams in the one group, 1B's got quite a few Leinster teams in the other group, that these teams might end up playing each other so often that maybe the championship might get a little bit stale. That might be the agent for change here, rather than someone saying, actually, no, we should just rip the structures up and go for something new. Yeah, exactly. That, And I think that's probably the biggest argument you can have for it. Um, and... The flip side of that, how that would look is, let's say we scrapped everything. And this is not obviously what we're arguing for, but we're just saying the positives and, and why you do it. But, you know, the idea of at the start of the year, you have a draw where potentially like, you know, Kenny and Thayer are playing against each other and Watford and Dublin are playing against each other and Tip and Galway are playing. And there's this crossover and there's this, you know, how many different things can fall out of this? How many great games can fall out of it? Because obviously that's what people really come back to. They know, traditional Munster Championship, all the great games. Well, for me, the more games you play and the more cross-sections of those games you have, well, that's 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 really where I think the excitement could come from. Um, and the idea of that at the start of the year where you have this variety of matches that weren't the same as last year's matches, well, that's something definitely to look forward to. And then, you know arguing then as to why you think one team's going to topple another that's that's all that will all fall out of that but i think that is pretty much a very good argument for it that you know after so many years we'll have seen these games repeat and repeat and repeat um that potentially that's where the change or, or the desire for change may come from that people say well look maybe to use james word of of, of stagnating maybe it's just it's, it's just going to stagnate where people will go now we need to tweak it get that variety back into it and you know, maybe inject a small bit more life back into it then when it gets to that stage. But like James said, 
we're not there yet. And even for the mindset to get there, it'd probably take another 10 years. But this might be a possibility. Well, look, you have a think about the league structure for a minute, Murph, because I'm going to give a quick fire one to scale here. Coming in from Baz0777. So it's usually 007, but he's 0777. <laughs> he asks, who is going to win the Goa Hurling Championship this year? That's a tough question to ask me, you know, and I, and I participate. You're playing in it, so you're probably, <laughs> like, you should be the expert on this as opposed to... Uh, I know, but it's a much harder question to ask me, so I don't know what you yeah, I don't want to say who was going to win it. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, um, right, are Thomas is going to win it, I would say no. Well, that's a good no. start. Go yeah. on, so new champions. Um, I think, I think if I'm looking at a team, I, I think the team that bet in the final, not great. I think the management team they have in place and the age profile of their team... Um, is in a really good place and they'll probably be for me the team to beat I think they'll grow from last year and yeah they're the team to beat for me not great right how far away are you from winning the championship um, we're actually I hate to I was going to curse there don't, <laughs> say, don't. no we like I think the I think public opinion would be that we've missed our we've, we missed the boat we got beaten in four semi-finals in a row beaten the last two quarterfinals in a row Thomas has beat us this year uh, and that that we're going the wrong way, like that we've lost our lost our chance. Um, it's difficult. Like I, 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 we. The good thing is we've got a couple of young guys coming through who can hopefully kind of add a bit of regeneration to the panel because our age profile was going to be a guy like Damien Joyce, selector for Galway. He's forty-two, with 37, 35 35. That's the kind of age profile of some of our top five, five or six players. So, if I was to say, I, I still, I still believe in my hand of heart of hearts that we're ranked probably within the top six. Hmm. And then if we just, it depends on, on what kind of momentum we can gain and what kind of traction we can get to the championship. So that's that's where I'm putting putting us in top six and I won't say any more than that. <laughs> All right, we can revise those predictions a bit later. With this yeah. season, it feels a long way away now at this stage. So Kieran Egan uh, was in contact, Murphy. He said, should there be an in-between division for the National League for the likes of Westmead, Leash Offley and Antrim? I think I kind of brought this up as half a point last week, but we didn't really explore it. Who are currently too good for division two but are not good enough for Division 1. So I would definitely be putting uh, Kerry and Kildare, and even if Down were to get back to where they were last year, into that group of teams as well. But is there an argument that Division 1 is very, very tough for these teams who are typically yo-yoing a bit, and yet generally when they go down to Division 2A, they're the team who are the favourites to come back up. Is there some kind of sweet spot maybe to be found for a middle division between them? Yeah, I suppose on the face of it, um, it does look appealing to do that. But I think you can't have that conversation without saying what are the, the pros and cons in terms of how does that group transition? Like, you know, between relegation and promotion, different things. The one fear I'd have against it would be if you completely, let's say, I suppose, pigeonhole these teams, separate them from not being exposed from the top tier at all, and also being above the 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 teams that say below them, is again, it goes back to that word of will they just stagnate? Are they going to be exposed to any new challenges? Um, we, myself and James would often argue on this that, you know, okay, teams are going to ship beatings at times, but the exposure to top level hurling, or you could even reference Gaelic football, anything, just the exposure to the challenge is what actually brings you along. It may not appear that way at the time, and yeah, you are going to take beatings, but in order to improve, you have to be exposed to playing against the better teams. Certainly, you know, if we did this this point, and it, it is a good point, mm. if we did that for one year, brilliant, and it might look absolutely great and it'd be very balanced, but how do we evolve that then? How do we take those teams and then progress them back in? Are we just going to be tinkering with it the whole time? Which, yeah, for me, time. when I think you're just tinkering with it and you're you're trying to fine-tune it, 
you're actually just going to hamper it. You need it to naturally progress. And if we even bring ourselves back to the likes of the argument where we were saying the miners at the start, where that, you know, you eventually come to the stage where you start to equal out with those teams in the top tier. Not every team is going to do it and it'll happen at different times. But when you start to beat these teams on merit, well, then that's where the real joy will come from, which we're pointing out with the leash and the Offaly miners last year. Um, it is certainly something that could be looked at, but what I would say you couldn't do it without figuring out how these teams are also going to be introduced. If it's just a straight promotion, happy days. Um and relegation, which I presume he is, he is um, insinuating is going to happen. Wouldn't be a bad, a bad one. Um, certainly a good idea, but that's just the one thing I tempered that with. It's just saying that I'm still a big believer that exposure to the top tier of hurling, although on the face of it may not appear great at times with the beatings, I do think those teams that's where they want to be and to be able to say that they played against these teams and to have potentially those days where you turn over one of the big teams. So. I'd have I'd have mixed feelings about it at the moment, where you just exclude these teams from the top tier. Yeah, I would wonder, James, if maybe the in-between solution on this might well be that the team who come up from two A go into one B, as opposed yeah. to the last couple of years where they've gone into one A. Yeah. Because at least if they were in one B, say if that was Westmead this season, yeah. and they would have say I don't maybe move the top team from one B last season into one A, and then whoever comes through the door goes into one B then Westmead will be playing this season against Leash and Antrim as opposed to having to play Galway, Limerick and Cork in successive weekends in 1A. Jeez, yeah. And that's that's a, <clears throat> that's a difficult proposition for teams making such a jump, you know. Um, I, I would think differently about this, Will. So we, we're talking about next year's league, the year after, like long term. How do we... And it's the big, it's the big elephant in the room when it comes to hurling. You know, it's the, the and and truthfully speaking, this time of year it makes it so public because the, the football championships are so well tiered. You know, they've got their one, two, three, four in, in in the perfect groups of eight, and they're quite comp- competitive games all the time. And then when you come to hurling, there's the, there's the odd hammer between the top eight or nine and and the rest. You like so, how do we get counties thirty two up from from thirty two to ten to compete? Like and that's that's a huge question for the GA, and I. Like, are they actually acting on it? Is the question I have. <clears throat> and for me, I don't. I don't. I personally don't think they are. To be honest, I think from a hurling perspective, we've got we're 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 depending on the counties themselves, like from one to ten, call it, to to cater for themselves, to to coach themselves, to generate traction with the youth themselves, and then with like from the rest of the counties, I don't think something. Happens. We might throw in a token coach, you know, into a couple of national schools that spins around once a week. But I don't think there's actually there's actually a big push, a big recruitment drive to get all the kids in Sligo playing hurling, you know, whereas they're competing with rugby, soccer, football, you know, all this kind of stuff. So like the bigger issue for me is how do you get these counties to, to get up the levels and stay there? And like if you like if you look at any team, the best way to improve them is recruitment. And, as, and the trouble is with, with an amateur association, the only way you recruit is through the youth. And you build them up along and, and try to get more numbers and more people participate in the games. So, like, how do we get that going? Like, how do we improve improve their facilities, up the, give them more equipment? You know what I mean? Put coaches in there. Like, the GEA turned over, I just saw the accounts there last week, they turned over 96.1 million in 2022. You know what I mean? And dispersed some, some like, 20-odd million grants. Like, is there not, could you not throw, truthfully speaking, 5 million of that, right? Which sounds like a crazy number. And implement loads of coaches all over the place 
I know it's, I know it's a, it sounds like a crazy idea and it's quite, you know, out there. But if you, like, what would 5 million do for all the smaller counties, let's say, from a hurling perspective, who are tinkering between, as you said, 1B, 2A, etc.? Like, that's the bigger question for me. I know it's, it's a very broad question. I didn't mean to throw it at you, but it just came out, <laughs> okay, as, as I'm talking about it. But, and like, whatever we say about the leagues, that'll just be a short-term solution. Someone's going to have an issue, which is to revert back to another league structure and we'll keep going back and forth. And at, at the meantime, the same counties have been the same. They've been purgatory. Yeah, I think sometimes you have to wonder about what will is out there within the GA community to promote hurling to. Like, I think of the motion that was soundly enough defeated at the weekend, which was uh, one that came through that would basically say that you'd have to have a hurling team available from under nine to under 17 within the club. Yeah, yeah, Liam Griffin put that one in. Wasn't yeah, it? It came from Wexford. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a yeah. good motion idea. Like I understand that some clubs sometimes split an area between football and hurling, and that complicates the issue somewhat. But it's very difficult to see an argument against why a club that's incorporated wouldn't be trying to promote both Colts. Yeah, I hear you. And do you know why? I'll be straight about this now. And Murph, if I'm wrong, please tell me. Okay, football is more popular because it's easier. I'm sorry, right? Football is. I'm telling you, look. I know you might say to me, "What are you talking about?" Right. But football, if you are fit, right, and you've, I, I, you have a base level skill, you can participate in football at any stage. You can pick up the, and it's proven in Galway. There's a couple of hurlers with Ireland medals who picked up the sport very late, okay? And, but in hurling, you have that opportunity. You've got to pick it up from the ground up. And I just don't think people in certain counties have the will or the want to, put, to, to push that you know, and put in the, the real hard effort to promote the game when they can just go at football, you know? Like if you if you go to oh jeez I'm going to get nailed across here now if you pick a county I won't even name a county right <laughs> where they're football dominated right and you go in and ask them to introduce hurling you'd be shot do you mean you'd be shot straight away and like I just think that it's football is an easier game to integrate with with kids it's an easier game to monitor it's probably a cheaper game in terms of you know loss of equipment and the type of equipment you need with hurlers helmets losing tips the whole time you know. Um, and I suppose that's the reason too, in my, <laughs> in my opinion. And look, that'll get its own <laughs> traction from people. But yeah. So are you going to leave me hanging out there to try and address the whole? Uh, no, I just want you to football. Is he definitely is. Yes. <laughs> look, like I'm not so trying to hang dist- out. Distance myself from your from your swearing last week, and I'm distancing myself from no, your. Uh, football first comments. of all, I would I put my hands up, and I look. I'm as always honest as be. I I I I say what I mean. I mean what I say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm not trying to draw a question or an answer out of you at all, man, but I'm saying, in my opinion, right, if you started the game, you started the game of football win, realistically speaking. When did I start playing? Like, at like an intercounty level, a couple of years ago, was it? Well, I, I was playing under 15 for Kilkenny, but the, the structures weren't there after that, and I, I was on minor teams then, so I wasn't playing. Um, but, yeah, look, I mean, Kilkenny is a good example in that, you know, the will, like, Kilkenny is a hurling county, so the will isn't overly there to play football. Just, like, people just aren't necessarily going out kicking football around or, you know, whatever. But there are people who want to play it. No more than myself, you you want to play it. But then you have to look and say, well, what structures are there for us to actually go and play football? I'd say people in football and counties want to play hurling are very similar. I actually met a few lads. I was up in Carrick and Shannon there two weekends ago, and I met a few lads from Armagh. Um, hurling lads from a man we we and we were just chatting away and, and they said that without kind of prompting them they were just saying well look the structures aren't overly there for us to go and you know really go through higher levels and what you were saying there James about maybe teams 32 to 10 that's that's the thing there like I've, I've often had conversations with coaches within the GA who have you know go around through different counties and when you go to different counties what you often see is 
the exposure to competition, the amount of teams that actually play it, that's where the real difficulties come in. Um, but, but then you see the likes of, of Nace who are playing under 16 um, down in Kilkenny and what, what they've done now at senior hurling level. You know, it's it's the, the likes of those ideas. And these are probably teams we've been touching on throughout the podcast today is just that, you know, maybe we have to look for more creative solutions to the problems that we have. The idea that, you know, let's say if, you're a hurler in Fermanagh and you want to really play hurling and you want to improve, well, maybe maybe you don't just restrict it to Fermanagh. Maybe you team up with having... And maybe these are things that are already happening now. I, I plead ignorance on this, but potentially that's your solution. If you don't have a big pool of teams, well, maybe you increase the pool and maybe that's how you get competitive. But there's also the thing you have to realise is, and speaking from the experience in Kenny, is that you will have people that want to play the sport, but are the structures there that really allow them to flourish playing it? That's... The other question that has to be asked, but I will, I suppose, I risk risky now saying this story, but to touch on your point about uh, hurling and football, um, I'd say only a few weeks ago now, I was somewhere and I was having a point in another county and a fellow was asking me, there was an older man and he was asking me about football and hurling and he was saying, I know why, exactly like you're saying, Scale, why hurling isn't as popular as football. And he said, there's thousands of skills in hurling, there's only four skills in football. And I was like, Four. I was. It was only four. And he said, "Kick pass, fist pass, pull and drag." Those <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm distancing myself from that. Job. This is what this lads. <laughs> and I'm sure Paddy Andrews now and the lads will uh, will have something to say about that. But no, I look. I don't know. I don't know. Is that the point? I don't know. Is is does the skill come into it? Certainly, it, it's probably no more than the likes of golf. It can be frustrating, you know, and you have to put in a lot of hours to see improvements. But I think there's other there's other factors certainly at play. I think that would would rise all tides here, like or rise all ships here, um, and the likes of that, the likes of different structures being implemented through weaker counties, may be a solution. I had a very novel idea once that we're going to do a crossover with the football pod. I reckon we're probably all banned uh, forevermore. <laughs> well, I'm, ba- I'm banned. You oh, again, I'm yeah. just saying that was a story that was said to me. I didn't say that, <laughs> and I don't support that man either. But I said that's. It's a good joke, Alison. Don't be so PC, Murphy. <laughs> Don't worry, you can take the flag. You're a big I, boy. I, I am merely a moderator of debate in case the football <laughs> pod ever needs a host in the future. Um, Owen Boylan 03 was in contact with a very similar question. Uh, what do Ulster counties, especially Antrim, need to do to compete with the rest? And before the lads answer this, I'd probably give you all Chrissy McCaig. Uh, said to me in the club championship show last year when I asked them about Slock Neil trying to close the gap to the top hurling counties that they were meeting in semi-finals and he said the problem was they're not just getting enough regular exposure to playing against better teams that he was saying that when Slock Neil won the Derry championship in recent years and Dunloy won this year and went to an All-Ireland final but when Slock Neil were having a good run in Ulster they had to travel the best part of two hours in order to get a challenge game they'd have to try and find a team down the country and go down to maybe Westmead, or he was saying they played quite a few games at Abbottstown, and they would have to ring around the country to go and try and get a team to go north to play against them, because the teams in the province around them just weren't strong enough when they were playing them in challenge games. So he was saying that exposure on a regular basis to play against the top teams is going to be crucial. I don't know, lads. I'll let you go first in this, Murph. Maybe the fact that Antrim are now playing in Division 1 again after getting promotion back up when they get into the Leinster Championship proper this summer getting that exposure to playing the bigger teams again maybe that's going to help them maybe it's even more difficult for the Ulster teams who are coming behind them Yeah um, you know I fully agree with Chris McCaig's point and like who who better than you know uh, an outstanding dual player like him to say that and you know the likes of Schlock Neil they are you know the, the, the likes of these people are people who really should have the opinions in terms of finding solutions because they're people that had to go like the success that they have had 
they've had to work that bit harder, I would argue, than, than lots of other clubs to achieve it because they've had to travel that small bit further. But, you know, we, we, we've said several times, uh, even in this show now, just about that exposure. We referenced it during the potential where you might have a separate division in the league just a few minutes ago with the other teams. And we're saying that, you know, potentially the exposure to the top teams is what they want. You know, Chrissy McCaig also saying this. So again, you know, if it is as an, uh, nationally, if it's somewhere where we're looking to improve and particularly bring the likes of the Ulster teams with us, I think implementing some sort of structure that allows that. Now, it's easy for me to say it and I'm not providing any solution, but if you have the likes of Chrissy McCaig, who is, you know, a well-accomplished footballer and hurler and from one of the best clubs in the country, uh, saying this, well, there's your answer, you know. Uh, I think for the likes of the answer, I actually wrote my notes when, when we were, when this came up as a point, you know, the first thing that popped into my head is how do you include these teams into the higher levels? You know, bring them down maybe out of Ulster if there's pockets of it, which there is in Ulster. Um, and there's lots of really good teams up there. Well, how do we include them in? And there is certain areas, like we're saying with Antrim there, that we're bringing them down and getting them involved. That's exactly where you have to do it. There's pockets up there and it's mostly football they're surrounded by. But we're all one big hurling community. Let's somehow find structures that has them right in the middle of it and we're all you know improving together and i think that's the only way to like i said i hold my hands up and say i'm not going to be the one to suggest how exactly that's done but there's many points here be it you know a division two in the inter-county league or be it at club level that seem to have the same answer in that it's it's the exposure and the better structures that include more teams is is, is what benefits everybody Hmm. James, if you say a combined Ulster team here, I'm going to mute you in the call. But go on, what's your <laughs> suggestion? No, no, I don't agree with that at all. Good. No, Good. that's not for me at all. I just, I think every county should should uh, wave their own flag and social every club. <clears throat> in terms of a solution, uh, it's an extremely difficult one because if there was one, it'd be in place already. Um, and like I, I'd imagine, there's a lot of people who are a lot smarter than, than us lads trying to trying to figure this out in the counties of Antrim and in the counties of Derry. But like we keep going back to the same point, and it's what we've what more. I'm just reiterating what he said, and it's it's inclusivity. Like how how do you get? You have to keep monkey see monkey do. Keep exposing them to top level hurling, and that's going to take an awful workload from the counties like Antrim and Derry, from a travel perspective, logistically, financially, to get them down to Leinster, get them down to Connacht, etc., and play these play these games. Because how how else do you include them? Do you know what I mean? Like do you, do you do you have a separate schools championship do you put them into Leinster for schools like, uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm brainstorming here how do you evolve the whole situation I, I like how Leinster has become the solution to everything it's like come, come on in <laughs> well yeah but in fairness like I know you two Leinster boys right uh, you put it that way but from my perspective right as a non-Leinster person mm. like it was great that our province actually let us in because we were, we were, and the gas thing was, we were, we were, I was just going across there again, we were stranded, like, you know what I mean? We had nowhere to go. <laughs> that wasn't what you were going for, stranded. I'm, I'm stranded I was going to go F. <laughs> we were stranded, like, and we had no structure, um, you know, we had no, no set calendar, everything. So to get into Leinster, come back to my point earlier, was a, was a great step of stone for us, you know, to, to try to get this county involved. And Antrim were already ahead the minute, like, at what stage did Derry do it? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Like what? It all points towards abandoning the provincial structure as a whole. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to bring in everyone. You know, on a national level, a national league, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and again, I know what you say. If you do, if you go to a national league, do you end up with the same hierarchy you have at the minute? Uh, so it's 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 an incredibly difficult one to answer to solve. And again, little more than Munster, we are a bit away from it. So I'll just say, from the short term, what can Andrew and Derry do? Just keep doing what they're doing. You know, keep doing what they're doing. Keep trying. Keep trying is the main thing. Keeping the shoulder of the wheel. 
Okay, um, we'll go to you first in this one, uh, Murph. Cormac Finnegan, 03. Who is the most underrated manager in the country? The most underrated manager in the country? That's a tough one. It is. That is a tough one. That's a big question. Ooh, that's a broad question. Underrated manager in the country? Mm. Like, if you're underrated, you have to have won something to be rich. Oh, yeah, that's a tricky one. Or, I would argue, you're maybe overachieving in the position that you're in, or... And in fairness, it doesn't say whether it has to be club or county either, by the way. Because yeah. money, I think, is particularly good. Go on, Murph, you go first. Yeah, no bother. <laughs> Time isn't half running out of me here now. Um, underrated <laughs> manager in the country. Um, so there's very few underrated because, of the, like, you know, we're constantly analysing them every single week. Um, yeah. And if there's any lads under the radar, I'd say at this stage you'd have to be looking towards the likes of the third level managers and the club managers who are doing really good jobs in the county. Inter-county managers not, you know, being underrated, I don't think so. I think they're analysed so much, they probably have their own fair rating. Um, I can restructure it then as, I don't know, an up-and-coming manager or someone to watch out for then. Manager, yeah, that makes it easier. I'm a little fair play to mm. I could feel you were buying, you were you were trying to buy some time there, so I was like, he's uh, he's not quite sure. Is, you, is anyone jumping for you, Skell, while Paul thinks about it? Um, well, yes, again, it comes across as bias. The reason the guy that stuck in my head a long time, but he's currently a coach with Galway, is Damien Joyce. He's going to be an excellent manager in years to come. What's good about him then? Um, his man of management is excellent, he, he's very good. Um, his persona is good. He's very sharp on the game, tactically. Mm. You know, he's an excellent motivator, a good speaker, confident. Like all the things you want, you want in a kind of a manager. Um, very open, you can approach him, etc. Like now, this come here. I'm coming from a position where I'm a good friend of his, uh, and like I know that. But I, I'd always see him since I was very, very small, thinking that guy's going to be, and he will be always seen a manager someday for sure. Mm. Uh, like I'll be totally biased, and I'll say I think Leo O'Connor is going to be a very good senior county manager at some point. Like he seems to work really well with younger players, has done it with Limerick, then went to Offaly, got them to an All-Ireland minor final. He's gone in with a pretty decent group of All-Ireland or with Offaly under 20s this year who are probably going to do quite well, I think, in the Leinster Championship in the coming weeks. He's just after winning the Leinster Schools A uh, with the Offaly Schools team. And maybe it just hasn't fallen into place from yet since his experience with the Limerick 20s to going over really good at senior county management. But I think that's a guy who does really really well and sometimes we kind of sleep on the people who are you know a bit further down and they're managing the underage level and we kind of just concentrate on senior I think he's really good anyone jump to you Murph since we started the chat yeah there's I have three names now I think mm. uh, funnily enough which did hold out time Murph yeah. just needs time he just needs plenty of time that's all he needs he needs you like, to talk do, for a few I can do anything <laughs> No, like three lads popped into my mind. Um, the likes of James Woodlock, you know, obviously did a brilliant job at Tipperary last year, you know. Um, and obviously what probably, the, the tough thing about picking managers is we don't see most of their work is in the training pitch and in the dressing room. We don't see what to do on the side of the field, you know, and but that's where we analyse the players. But James Woodlock's job was probably overshadowed by the way that the minor championship finished last year. Um and how that really took the headlines and of course awfully doing you know having such a great year as well but you know he did a really good job and had really tough matches along the way i would actually also say and again just speaking from experience uh the current kilkenny manager manager niall bergen excellent manager um he's really good really organized um excellent coach as well so you know certainly what i hear from the miners is that you know 
he's just doing an excellent job there. Um, but we had him at the club and he was just, you know, outstanding. Another player I'll actually say, and one of former teammates, David Herity, doing mm. an incredible job at Kildare, you know, really put structure on it and has committed to them for such a long time. Not such a long time, but certainly nobody would have begrudged him if he stepped away. But Kildare have had some really good wins over the last few years. They've had great days out in Crow Park. And I know the type of person that David Herity is. He, he's quite a person that, you know, once he has his mind set to something, that's what he does. And he does it to the best of his ability. And he's driving, you know, as a young family, he's driving from Kilkenny up to Kildare. Uh, not an easy thing to be doing. And the commitment he's given, I think he's done a really good job with Kildare. And far be it for me to say, he doesn't need me to be saying it, but, you know, see how Kildare perform at the moment. And they've definitely only gone one direction since he's been in charge. So I suppose the next teammate of mine is doing a really good job, David Herity. I love listening to Herity um, whenever we have him on the show to talk about hurling. I think he always brings a very different perspective to things and he's got great detail with the way mm. that he looks at things as well. Was he always that type of player that you got the impression, right, there's possibly a coach in him once he finishes playing? Um, maybe so. I never thought about him as a coach, but he was always really detailed when, you know, let's say for he was ahead of his time really in terms of goalkeeping, training and coaching with Kenny. You know, he was always what can we do different here that will improve the setup? And having the likes of Owen Murphy and that come in at the same time, who is a very like-minded person, I think Owen learned a huge amount from David, which is something that's maybe not spoken about. But, you know, Herity was always one that was saying, what can we do from the start of training? He was always the first player really out in the pitch in training. And well, lots of lads like to, you know, be speak romantically of Henry and JJ and these lads being out early as they always were. But Herity was invari- invariably the first person out. And like that, I mean, as you say, Will, he he sees the game in a really unique way, um, not off the wall or anything, but he comes up with really good points that people might not necessarily have seen. But I think any player who would have played with Herity, you know, he's, he's great crack and he's, you know, all fun and jokes. But when it comes to the business end of it, he's so driven um, and very passionate about what he does. Like he doesn't waste his time on something if he doesn't believe it's working. So that's why I would say that, he, you know, it's a great testament to the Kildare players that he feels so committed about it. But... Um, he wasn't someone that I would have said, yeah, definitely he's going to go into management. Certainly I would have said, if, if he asked me, I would say, yeah, he'd be a great manager, a great coach. Um, but his attention to detail, I think, for me, that's what struck me when we were playing together, that he was just, nothing was ever left to spare. He was always worked as hard, if not harder, than any player I ever played with. We've all leaned on our own experiences with our picks there. So by all means, get involved in the comment section and you could be on Matters of Rising next week if you know a better up-and-coming coach or an underrated manager right now. Um, two people on the YouTube followed up from our conversation about underrated hurlers, which came from a question last week. Uh, Jim McCarthy was saying uh, Fiona McKessie of Kerry, uh, he's going to have a really good battle, I think, this weekend with Carl Kiley of Offaly when Kerry play Offaly on Saturday. Uh, McKessie's a very, very good defender. And Colin Malone brought up as well, lads, very underrated soccer Tim says on YouTube uh, does so much of the hard work for Claire allows the likes of Kelly to roam around because he's always there to mop up the brakes so a bit of an unsung hero maybe within that Claire forward unit uh, in Cotton Malone so there were two of the suggestions uh, that came in keep them coming in on the underrated hurlers and this is probably going to kick a scale into our look forward to next week's games uh, so I'm going to give you this one from Mife which came in on Instagram do the lads think the Crow Park is going to suit me Hollow Donahue's style with Dublin as a dub, I'm worried. So Dublin returned to Crow Park to play Tipperary uh, this coming weekend. That game's on Saturday night. What do you think, Skell? Is Crow Park going to suit Dublin and the style of hurling the Mihal plays? That's a broad question, too. 
They love broad mm-hmm. questions. They're not going to ask you, you know, narrow questions that are going to give you an easy yes or no. <laughs> yeah, sure. I feel like I'm back in school being questioned just, by the principal now. We're just trying to figure out how can you get a swear word into the answer. That's all you were thinking about. <laughs> oh, oh, just, just in your bad habits, I have more protected. <laughs> no, I, like, if, if any manager is implementing a game plan or a style, like, he needs a certain level of player to execute it. You know, uh, like, <clears throat> I think, obviously, his style with Galway at the time was, it looked quite progressive and it looked quite you know useful and forceful and it was it was successful because also we had the players to execute you know and we won so mm-hmm. for Dublin at the minute I think Michal is kind of he's, he's finding what he has like there's you, you can't tell me he went up there and knew every single Dublin player in Dublin you know and and knew all about them and their top championships and their history with youth etc he didn't so he's still finding his feet he's still probably dependent on local knowledge from clubs and his selectors and whatnot uh, to see what he has in front of him and he's going to have to try things at this stage of the year, to see how we can form a team for championship. So, like, come Tipperary, when Tipperary come to Core Park, I know I said last week this will test a lot of Dublin players, and it will, because we won't see the strongest 15 out in Dublin. We'll see a team that Meat has put together to see can they A, carry out a game plan that he envisages, and B, has he got someone new? Has he unearthed someone that, that, that can, you know, participate heavily in the championship this year? So, like, I think over time, yes, like, we'll see, I think Dublin will be fine in Core Park, because you have to be, you know, really good and effective in Crow Park if you're going to go anywhere in both Leinster and the Ireland Championship so like, he's going to be aiming towards that alright yeah but for, for now for the short term it's going to be very hard to say that yes his game plan is, is, is working knocking off big teams because he hasn't had the time he just needs time to see what's in front of him and, and go from there yeah sticking with that game Paul look Tipperary been very unlucky Cadell Barrett O'Mara have all picked up long term injuries uh, when you consider the injuries that Tipperary's football panel have had someone in Tipperary must have knocked over a black cat which was holding a mirror at some point with the bad luck that they've had but you add on top of that the confirmation from Bubbles that he's stepping away from inter-county hurling I really enjoyed Liam Sheedy's uh, tribute to him during the week as well really struck me as a guy who was just naturally ridiculously talented but when Sheedy came in and met him for the first time and he was such a key player in 2019 that he got the impression that maybe his work rate was a little bit underrated. I was chatting about Bubbles on the news round and off the ball last week and like I thought 2016, he was just the perfect combination of, we all talk about what a good wristy hurler he is and the fantastic skills and that burst of pace, but he worked so hard, particularly in 2016, maybe unlucky in 2019 not to win an All-Star with some of his performances there too. But um, I don't mean to bring him back to some of the days where maybe Bubbles was the difference between your Kilkenny team and Tipperary because some big games against Kilkenny, but um, what an incredible forward stepping away from the game. He's been very, very unlucky with injuries over the last two or three seasons which like restricted his involvement particularly from 2021 onward but what a player yeah absolutely um you know undoubtedly just such a creative player is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of of, of john o'dwyer and you know there's particularly there was games even in the monster championship where it was very much free flow hurling and that's where it just really seemed to suit him in that he was allowed to go roam and just show off his skill and his, his talent. Incredible points as well, you know, never mind his goals, the incredible points he used to get by just creating that space and that was something he was always very good at, was just creating the space, particularly when it went out around the half forward line, you know, he'd do these kind of looping runs where he might start deep, come out, ball will break and he he's able to turn, has great awareness of who's around him and got so many, I suppose, at the variety of scores he was able to get for Tipperary when Tipperary some days were struggling for scores but yeah like that he he had some really good years surprising in 2019 like you said that he didn't get an all-star he had a great year that year um, but really I suppose after around I think he came on against us in 2013 in Olin Park 
But after that, he never really looked back. You know, 2014, he was influential. He was on the freeze, you know, a foot away from winning All-Ireland from, from you know, 100 yards or more. Um, and he was always just seemed to be there when Tipperary were, you know, looking to get over the line and win big matches. He was always there in fairness to him. So particularly with the injuries at the moment that Tipperary have, it certainly doesn't do them any good. It's not, probably not an ideal time, but again, he has to do what's good for him. Um and you know, huge service to Tipperary. He can he can look back with a great amount of pride with it. Yeah, because Paul, I was sitting with Tommy Welsh at the 2019 final, and first thing he said to me when the ball broke across to Bubbles for his goal in that final was, "How the hell did he end up on Martin in space there?" But then I kind of thought this is something that Bubbles did throughout his career. He was remarkably good at drifting away from his marker and popping up in a pocket of space. Yeah, exactly. And he probably learned quite a bit from from the likes of Lar and that. Now maybe he's speaking of the turn, but that was something we always associated with Lar was that. Maybe when Lara's man was watching the ball, Lara noticed that and used to drift away. And the likes of Henry and that would have been great at that as well. Know the moment when your player maybe isn't paying attention to you, the ball is near you, might be only 15 or 20 yards away. And when your player gets distracted, you pull away. That was something John O'Doyle was excellent at. And he knew also that he had lads around him, like the, the likes of Bonner and that, that. He knew if there's a ruck happening there, a fair chance the likes of Bonner's coming out with it. And he could pull away. And invariably, when he got that ball in space, he had the presence of mind and you know the confidence to wait that extra second to make sure the ball was going over. He never, very rarely did we see him snatch at shots, you know. So, you know, that that that, that time where he, he, he ended up in front of the goal in 2019, again, that just came through cleverness. Lots of people can look at that one-dimensionally and think, he accidentally popped up there. There was no accident, you know. He he assessed the situation around him and got into that position. But you know, so often throughout his career, you can think about those moments where, when the game opened up, he drifted out into space and just seemed to coming down the home straight was just popping scores over to beat the band. Yeah, um, Skell, you weren't in goal for his remarkable goal in the semi final against Galway. Callan, who was in goal that day, but. My first thought when I was looking back at the video, because I was watching to see if it was you who he beat, it wasn't, um, was that he God. barely takes he barely <laughs> takes a swing, Skell, for the goal, though. Like, it's a really good run. But when we say he's a wristy hurler, and that's a bit of a kind of a serial kind of uh, moniker, but he is a wristy yeah. hurler. In that case, he needed barely any backswing whatsoever to generate remarkable power to put the ball across the goal. Yeah, and, look, and to be honest, you, you can't teach that. That, that comes with uh, natural ability and, and practice. Like, and he <clears throat> he's certainly a hurler you look back on. And, and you can tell by watching him like, that he was a very graceful hurler and had all the skills that you would like to, to have yourself and try to teach into, into the youth of today. But um, some of those skills you just you just can't teach because you're born with it. Um, I know some might say that's a ridiculous statement, but <clears throat> you're not. Like Some of the things he was able to do with the ball, the normal 5 8 player can't do, no matter how hard you work it. So, lo- lovely hurler. And I, I think one thing as well... Like, I'd say over the course of his career, <clears throat> excuse me, he was probably questioned on his condition a good bit, his weight. Mm. And I think, let's say, for a person like him, it's similar to myself, like as well, that you just have to work that bit harder to keep it down. And like when, you, when I read Liam Sheedy's article as well, Will, when you mentioned about the injuries that Bubble sustained, like for a man who, like like me, me myself, I put on weight very simply if I don't keep on top of it, you know. So if you get injured, it's very hard to keep it off, no matter what you do. So I'd say those couple of injuries, <clears throat> like, was, 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 the reasoning is why at times he'd come back in league campaigns and would be in the great condition so for me there's a great appreciation towards him to see how he got himself into such good condition in those championship runs that's not a simple thing to do I know everyone in association with the the beautiful scores and the and the wristy work is fabulous but to, to see the, the, the work that he would do probably five, six days a week <clears throat> on a pitch where no one will see him where there's no cameras you know what I mean Like that, that, that is the hard stuff to do as part of being an intercounter hurler especially when you're someone like him who has a reputation of being so effective for tip that 
probably there was a lot of weight on his shoulders. Excuse the pun. <laughs> so, you know, like in terms of so for him to to stick with it, to keep at it, persevere, and and keep going to to for sort of his career with with the injuries sustained. Kudos to him. Yeah, another one of the big uh, tip players of the last decade uh, stepping away into retirement last week. Uh, Paul, for this coming weekend, for Saturday at Crow Park, who do you fancy in tip against Dublin? Um, look, it's a tough one. Last weekend, going away from Nolan Park, I would have said certainly Tipperary, but now with the injuries, you know, uh, it kind of throws it up in the air a small bit. Going back to what we're saying about Michal Donoghue and Crow Park, I... Like like James said there, you know, Michal Donoghue has approached this differently than when he's when he's managing Galway because he's a different set of players. Um, he'll be very aware of what the abilities of those players are in terms of a full pitch setup and in terms of a tactic they can have. I think at the moment, like we've only seen um, Dublin on what would be perceived as smaller pitches, so Fratter Field, down below in Waterford and and Parnell Park. What Dublin will want to do, I imagine, uh, against this tip team is really sit back and try and condense that area around the goal. You know, if the likes of Shamey's playing or whoever we saw last weekend, to, you know, the linking up with Morrison Ford, that link up happened because space was created in behind the half back line. Dublin won't want to have that space for tip to run into. Dublin will probably see themselves as maybe having a small bit more in the legs potentially than the tip team at the moment, you know, just depending on who they play. Um, so I think from that, what Dublin will look to do is maybe try and block out sit deep, block out that tip attack and then use their legs to get back up to pitch and create space for the full forward line. Now, I know lots of teams are trying to do that, but I don't think you'll see Dublin vary from that a whole lot. Um, you saw against Antrim as well, Keelan Malai popping in behind for two goals. So anytime they seem to go up a little bit too far up the pitch, they've been exposed. So I think what they'll look to do <clears> is that sit quite deep, allow the full forward line that space. And that's, you know, that, that full forward line they have has a nice bit of running in it and likes the space in front of them as well. So... It's it's not an easy one, um, but I expect I expect maybe Tip just to have the bit more cuteness here now at this time of the year. I think Mihal Dunn, who is still fine tuning the team, I agree with James. I think he's going to try a few more players. Trying a few more players will also feed into maybe playing a small bit disjointed at times. You know, not having that flow to your game. Live, uh, Tipperary looks sharp against Kilkenny, and they still have those players Ford, Morris, and these lads popping up tough having a few injuries but I think they have the backbone of a team there that will have enough just to you know I suppose put up a really good performance against Dublin but I wouldn't be surprised you know Dublin could come at this and see this as a real target for them to take a scalp off Tipperary and create a good platform for them going forward but at the moment I think Tipperary just have maybe a little bit too much and will understand how to play in Pro Park as well to maybe just find a way around this Dublin team mm, Both those teams unbeaten so whoever comes through this weekend is going to be uh, really well set up to get to a semi-final uh, The other game on Saturday is a 2pm start that's in Division 2A unusually at Fitzgerald Stadium which hosted an inter-county Camogie game at Kerry for the first time last week traditionally uh, Kerry's hurlers play in Tralee but they take on awfully top of the table clash in Division 2A and Scale, the thing I was thinking about this one, another important motion that was passed on the hurling side of things last weekend. Kerry, if they win the Joe McDonough this summer, which is a difficult thing to do, given that Leash are probably going to be the favourites to win it, but you know, Kerry have been very close to win the Joe McDonough over the last three seasons. If they come through this time around, the most nonsensical thing of all time has finally been removed, where Kerry can now go directly into the Munster Championship as opposed to playing a playoff. That's amazing, isn't it? They can go home and partake in their own provincial championship. <laughs> I say it with a high degree of sarcasm, you know. Mm. Um, it's good. It's again, <clears throat> it's it's a it's a step in the right direction. You know, when we spoke earlier on about the whole provincial status and the situation around provincial structures, we did say that we're 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 years away from even entering into a discussion. So the fact that Kerry can get back into their own championship 
no, don't get me wrong. They have to go and win the German Tunnel first, <laughs> you know. So it's not that it's not that simple because that's going to be hotly contested too. But look, it's it's baby steps. Will <clears throat> I suppose it's extra motivation for them. A, you win the John McDonough, which is a good championship to win, and you get back into your own pro- provincial championship to uh, to rub shoulders with the big dogs. So, again, a good step forward. Yeah, it would have been some nonsense last year if they'd had to play Tipperary if Kerry had won the final against Antrim, but at least that's uh, now removed and they've got a straight run into a provincial championship in Munster now. Uh, the TV game on Sunday, Paul, because I'll give you a first shout it, is Galway against Limerick. Limerick on TV uh, three weeks in a row. So the television companies have obviously decided that uh, Limerick are taking this stage of the year a bit more seriously than last year, maybe. Um, they got their win against Clare just before the break. They go up to Pierce Stadium now for a half-two start in Salt Hill on Sunday. How do you reckon this game is going to go? Bearing in mind the goal, we did turn them over in the reverse fixture in Limerick last year. Yeah, um, re- really tough one to try and call this one again. Um, you know, like Limerick in, you know, obviously their 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 normal strong form at the moment, but Pierce Stadium not an easy place to go as Galway have proven for Limerick over the last few years as well. Um, I think Galway look Galway will be looking. To bounce back from their performance against Cork as well. Like we said last week, their team that's also still learning. They're playing, they played really well against Wexford. You know, wouldn't be overly happy with the performance against Cork. Now, I'd, I'd imagine Galway are looking at this going, this is a serious chance now for us to again get another win over Limerick, which we can bring forward with us and learn a huge amount of lessons. And I think Henry will be saying to him as well, saying, listen, lads, Cork came up here uh, two weeks ago and bullied us in our own back garden. If we stand for a lot of things, one of the things we can stand for is being better at home and not putting up a savage challenge. Granted, it's the All-Ireland champions, but they've been able to do it before. So I think we'll see a strong Galway team going out against Limerick. Limerick will probably look to do, again, load a few more lads, and that'll be mixed with your few regulars as well. Um, With that being said, I just think coming down the home straight, potentially Galway will just take this by maybe four points. But again, the teams will tell a lot once we see the, the teams named on the Friday night we'll be able to see how these both of these sides are taking it. But Pierce Stadium with Galway, I'd, I, and, and considering they lost the last match against Cork, I think we'll see a small bit of reaction here from Galway. Yeah, I mean, Scal, the obvious reaction has to happen. They can't afford to concede four goals and 28 scores like they did against Cork. That's just not going to be permissible at all against this Limerick team. No, and a big thing with, with what Murph said there is the team selection. So like if... If, if Limerick uh, go out with a team that they've put in like, over the last couple of weekends, like, it's going to be a tough game for Galway. Um, the pitch is a factor too. Like The pitch is not in good condition, which so the ball doesn't travel at an awful lot of pace. So it's going to be an awful lot of power ball from both Limerick and Galway. Um, and again, it's, it's like, I know we said last week, for me personally, I, I don't want to see, I, I don't want to see Galway put out the strongest 15. I want to see who's who's capable of putting up to Limerick in the, in the month of February, you know? Because um, <clears throat> you'll know the much I have for come, come championship. Um I don't want to see the Fitzgibbon lads being used, truthfully speaking. I don't want to see Evan Island. I don't want to see Brian Cannon. You know, give them guys a bit of a break. There's no point, I suppose, flogging them is the word I'd use right now. Uh, give them give them some, some time off because they've had two hard games in five days. Uh, and just see what the rest of the panel is made of. Like, what's the point of carrying 35 or 40 lads if you don't give them a, a shot at the big ducks? You know, so this game is ex- extremely hard to call. I, as a goal man, <clears throat> I can't even call it, to be honest. I, I don't know what way it's going to go, what way Limerick will show up, um, what way, what team are we going to pull out. There's so many variables in, at this time of year, you know. Um, like we've beaten them, we bet them last year and we bet them at home as well by six points the year previous. Um, so like there's there's a good track record this time of year if you want to call it that. And I think there, I, I hope to see a bit of a, 
you know, a bit of fire and goal is that like we conceded way too much last week. Like, you know, after the and the Cork game, like that's that's one thing. Whatever we score is one thing, but I don't want us to see concede in the manner in which we conceded against Cork again against Limerick. So that's for me. If, like, again, you're looking for these games. Give me a couple of nuggets that we can we can we can latch onto for the year going forward. And if we put in a good solid defensive defensive display against Limerick, I, I'll come away actually quite content. Mm. Um, a bit of pre-match reading which I'd suggest for anyone if you get a chance is the piece Arthur O'Dea has written in the 42.ie about Michal Houlihan who <coughs> had his first start in the league the last time out against Clare scored 12 points uh, I think four of them coming from play during the game but perhaps more impressively he brought his free taking from Kilmallock into the Limerick team at a time when they need a free taker because their regular free takers aren't available very unusual story about his coming to the fore like his dad played on the Limerick team that got to the All-Ireland Finals in the 1990s and He's a guy who actually wasn't involved in the same way as the guys at his age level in academy teams with Limerick, where they got a lot of the conditioning. So he's had to come the long road around into his mid-20s and play a lot of catch-up, where he's won the star hurlers within the Limerick Club Championship, but maybe just had to get to that speed in order to get into the Limerick panel. He was an unused player in the Championship last year, has an All-Ireland medal, though, as part of the team from last season. But maybe he'll be a bit more prominent this year, especially when we see Aaron Galan again was playing soccer last weekend, as opposed to being involved with Limerick in the coming weeks. So we shall keep an eye on that one. Uh, the other games across the weekend, Paul Wexford against Clare. It's had a bit of spice about in recent times, uh, maybe a bit less so now that David Fitzgerald isn't going to be on the sideline for Wexford. But Clare obviously looking to bounce back from last week. Wexford got their win against Westmead, but didn't play all that well in their first game uh, when they played against Galway. Um, this is perhaps an important game for both teams, deciding on whether they're going to be fighting towards the bottom of the table or looking upwardly after the game at Wexford Park on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it is. And it's it's a hard one to call, really. You know, if, if Clare had performed a little bit differently against Limerick um, or maybe had just played another team and, and we could we could gauge them, we might be able to call this a bit better, but it's quite tough. Um, I think Wexford at the moment, you know, look, Wexford were, were really good against Westmead as well. And, you know, we, we say that because of the year previous, they maybe took Westmead for granted um, and didn't put in a good performance. But they looked a bit more clinical against them uh, in the last game. Clare travelling to Wexford Park, again, not an easy place to travel. Uh, I think Wexford in this one, will maybe just have a bit much for Clare at the moment. It's in Clare still just finding their feet. Might be a small bit of a hangover also from the Limerick game. Um, but this Clare team, if they've shown us anything, is that they can prove anybody wrong of, of a given day. So typically these two teams have really gone well together and they've, they've been good matches between them. But I think maybe Wexford just have a small bit more structure uh, on their team at the moment and are looking to improve. Again, poor performance against Galway. Um, I know it's it's hard to gauge against Westmead just after that, but I think this Wexford team will put in a strong performance, see this as a good opportunity to get two points on the board. And, you know, like I said, not an easy place to go. So I maybe just give Wexford um, give Wexford the tip on this one. Claire Hurling's favourite pundit, James Gell. How are they going to get on in the southeast of the weekend? <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you can't plead the fifth. You, you literally have to answer that question. That's why you're here. <laughs> no, I, like, um, I, I do agree more from, in, to, to a certain degree that, that um, like Wexford Park is notoriously difficult to go. Um, I think from what I'm hearing, Lee Chin is still going to be injured. So the free-taking situation could prove decisive as well. Um, and I'd say Claire again, no more than what... I spoke about the Galway and Cork performance. I'm Galway looking for a bit of a kick. Um, I think Clare are looking for something as well. Just like, I know the league in terms of of, of overall importance is not huge on Clare's radar. They're Ireland, they're chasing and Munster as well. But you'd, you'd like to think that after the the manner in which they got defeated by Clare, 
that they put in, I suppose, a, a good, probably strong team and then put in a good performance. Um, Wexford's tricky to go to. I, I don't know where both teams are at at the moment. Um, and I'd be kind of picking, <laughs> I'd be, not because you asked me the question now, uh, Will, but I'd be kind of picking clear on this one, to be honest. I think but it's a tough one to call, though. It's, it it's very hard to tell where both of them are at at the moment. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not going to say Clare going to be five points. This, if either team win this game, like it could be a draw, it'd be, it'd be a point or two. You're not, you're not talking five or six points, in my opinion. Um, but I do think that Clare, again, the manner in which they got, got beaten by Limerick, um, mm. and I look at their manager, I have great respect for their manager, because he's half capital as they say. Um, I, I just think that, 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 that he'll feed into them and they put in a, a good performance down there. Um, and I, like I said, it doesn't have the same for Rose as years previous because JB's gone, but there's still a bit of bite because the players are the ones that met on the pitch over the years. So I'm expecting a good game and probably a clear to come out by a point or two. Hmm. I was in Mullingar Friday night. Uh, I was talking to a good few uh, Westmead hurling folk. Uh, Castletown Gagan were having their dinner dance and collecting their medals from uh, winning the senior championship in Westmead last weekend. Three or four people come up and said, I listened to the pod, which is always a good sign. And now I'm kind of very wary when I say Westmead are going to have a really tough day at the office against Cork at Porky Cueve. But... The truth of it is, I think they will. I mean, they obviously were a bit uh, defensively exposed in the game against Clare. Second half ran away from them last week. And I think, Skell, going into this game, Cork are in very imposing form early in the year. This is a really tricky game for Westmeath. It's, it's hard. It's really hard, to be honest. And like, you, you try and kind of centre some positivity around this fixture for Westmeath, but it's very hard because Cork, like, like I know... I'm not trying to over-exaggerate the performances over the last couple of weeks, but they've been really good and they've been really clinical against two two top teams. So you'd, you'd have to fear for Westmead in this instance. And like I, I do think though that Cork will put out. Um, I won't. I won't say their second fifteen. You know what I'm trying to say. They will. They will probably rest five or six of their more prominent players, the guys who will probably be featured in the bigger games. When to call that and introduce some of the more the more, more younger guys. Um, and even even at that, I think if you had Corks. If you had five regular starters and ten, 10 new players, if you like, it's still a very, very difficult task for Westmead. Um, and look, it's probably going to be defeat in double figures. Yeah. I don't think Murphy disagree with that, would you? No, no, I think that's that's unfortunately what we're looking at. Um, look, Cork will be looking to keep their momentum up. Um, absolutely agree with James. I think we'll see, you know, another, possibly another group of players or maybe a small fraction of the players that have been starting to play this game. But nevertheless, you know, the atmosphere around Cork, that their their bandwagon's up and going here now at the moment, their backs are up. I think they're going to want to keep it that way as well. Um, and I don't I don't think they'll want this game dragged into, you know, a cagey kind of a match. They'll want to see this. This is in Parky Cueve. We're going to keep the confidence up. We're not going to introduce any element of shakiness, you know, or, or take away from the good work we've done. So... You know, Cork will look to go out and put in the performance we expect them to put in and rack up the score we expect them to put in, which is, you know, it's not easy to say that against, you know, Westmead. Um, and it's, you know, you feel harsh when you're saying it, but I think reality, that's what we're going to see. And it's just unfortunate that that's, you know, that's the team Cork are at the moment. They're the form team in the league. So um, I don't see it as being an easy one at all for Westmead. Murph, your own county, Kilkenny, you play your neighbours in Leash, in Port Leash on Sunday afternoon. Are we expecting Kilkenny to bounce back and put that Tipperary game behind them? Of course, they played in a, a very important game in the weekend just gone by, which was the Dylan Quirk uh, fundraiser game, which was on Thurless, and Kilkenny got their win back against Tipperary. But perhaps more importantly was the money that was raised during that charity game as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it was great. You know, um, I've, I've even been involved in a few great matches between Kilkenny and Tip in charity games over the last few years and um, you know again it goes back to I suppose the rouge of, of the GA what we're all about you know we might be rivals one day but we're communities other days and 
you know, there was a great turnout at the game. I believe it was also viewed on, on Tip GA um, very widely as well. So, and, and and the money going for a great cause. And remembering a great fella as well, you know, a, a Tip Stalwart as well. So, um, look, it was a great match. Again, you couldn't read a whole lot into it, I suppose, as a match. Um, Tipperary didn't have the strongest team in the world out. And Kilkenny, I suppose, looking into Leash this weekend, you know, it's not it's not an easy one. We saw what Leash were doing against Waterford. Um, and we were speaking last week at the likes of Paddy Person, these lads coming from deep and they're playing a little bit differently, you know. And again, what we saw at Kenny with Tipperary was that maybe they felt a small bit flat uh, in terms of their structure and they will look to bounce back. And I'm, I'm sure there will be a bite in the Kilkenny style play um, for this match. But certainly not easy, you know. I think they should look forward to this one. They look to build on what they were doing against Waterford. They look to compound to say, well, we can do this every week against Kilkenny, even if we only lose by a point or two or potentially come out of here with a win. This isn't an easy one for Kilkenny to go and do, particularly after the Tipperary match. Um, but I do expect Kilkenny to maybe put out, you know, a, they'll still be trying lads and lads will get their chance, but I think we'll see a fairly strong team because Kilkenny will look to get the two points here. And again, I suppose steady the ship a small bit and say, right, look at, you know, as in what we did the last day against Tipperary, that's not what we're about. This is a good opportunity now to, you know, steady the ship again. So I think Kenny will put out a decently strong team in this one, um, but I don't expect it to be easy against Leash, particularly from what I saw against Waterford. Yeah, I think Aidan Corby suspended after his red card against uh, Waterford and at least you've got a good pick for this weekend and they'll be hoping that they can hurl for maybe just at that level a bit longer than the 45 minutes that we saw against Waterford. Uh, Waterford themselves, James, they're at home, Farfield again, the early throw-in on uh, Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock, where they go up against uh, Antrim. This is a chance now for Waterford to put themselves that bit closer to a semi-final as well with a victory, but we saw how good Antrim were in the first round away from or sorry at home against Kilkenny now they have to bring that into an uh, away performance of our field but Antrim haven't been too far away in the first two games whether that be against Kilkenny or a Parnell Park against Dublin the last day no no they haven't um, and again like logistically they have a tough one to go all the way down south um, which brings its own challenges too when you think about it that way but I think Watford let's say they haven't set the world alight to be honest but in the same token they haven't been beaten so which is positive in its own sense. Like they've they've come away, you could say, with with their own issues in in Farfield in, in discipline disciplinary side of things, and they've come with a with a point, and then they've managed to back it up with two points after a college stuttering performance against Leash. So now we're probably this is this kind of performance is going to be looked at, at to trying to kind of set some things straight and get into a bit more momentum. So I, I still do think they're going to they'll take care of Antrim. Um, I think Dublin, to be honest, left Antrim in the game. I I, I don't think it was a case of that. Antrim got a serious proper patch and overturned Dublin. I just think Dublin errors actually facilitated Antrim to get the couple of goals. So I think this is going to be... I, I obviously won't say it's like the, the Westmead Cork situation, but I do think it's going to be a difficult one for Antrim. And I think Watford win by 6 or 7. OK. The games in Division 2A that are on on Sunday, we already mentioned you've got Kerry against Offaly on the Saturday. Uh, Carlo against Down. Both teams hoping to get a reaction after a poor start compared to what they would have wanted when they meet at Netwatch Cullen Park at 2 o'clock. And at the same time, Derry will host Kildare and Kildare will be hoping to take advantage of the weekend where they know two of their rivals at the top, one of them are going to drop points at least on the Saturday and Kildare will look to keep their 100% record going. Uh, David Herity's side, Derry looking to bounce back from their defeat against Offaly.
roughly last time out. And Skell, we created one new section, which almost became the full podcast, which was Matters Arising. Uh, we'll keep that. Um, I don't know what we're going to call this one. Skell's Corner, What Grinds Your Gears. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to go. But just before we went on air, you stuck in the WhatsApp. That could be anything. <laughs> yeah, you had, you had a couple of things you wanted to talk about. I think What Grinds Skell's Gears will give us a nice wide platform for every week. Um, but you wanted to talk about referees. And I was expecting him to go, I had a really bad referee in a challenge game at the weekend or something along those lines. But you're actually speaking in support of referees on a weekend where the football Football refs are getting nothing but hassle. Yeah, so I suppose you can call this maturity. But that was that what you call it, really? <laughs> I'm only going to be 35 in a couple of days, and now it's about time I'm getting mature. Happy, uh, happy pre-birthday! Go on, I'll sit back and you go. Thank you, sir. No, it was really probably centred off a lot of the social media um, comments I had seen on the on the Cork and Dublin game with the Gertrude Maguire getting sent off for his second yellow. And look, granted, I'm not going to try and and say that it is. You know, it was just a right decision. It, it wasn't right, but just to see the kind of like I can understand when people go at a referee and they question, you know, the type of decision. What was people? Some people were actually vicious at him. You know, they were really kind of calling him out as a person. You know, uh, and and I don't, I didn't see anyone kind of focused on. Well, well, look, the kid, the guy made an error. So how do we actually support him? How do, what what kind of processes do we put in place uh, to try and kind of eradicate these decisions? Because it seems like every year, I know that's football, but in hurling, there's always one or two major decisions that actually influence the outcome of a game. And like, if you think back, you think of Ozzy Gleason when he caught the ball on the line against Tipperary. You think mm. of the one where Jake Morris got fouled on, against On Clare. the line, was it? Hold on a second. He caught it on the line, did he? Not behind the line, but go on. See, I'm trying to remain a small bit impartial here. No, I know no, what it was because it was a goalie <laughs> riff, so I don't want to come after me in the club championship. <laughs> but then you have, you know, obviously, the Jake Morris situation when they play Clare down in Limerick. Um, and then you've got a couple of, I suppose, incidents which were a couple of Limerick lads on some strokes, you know, that... I think one in the, in the Munster final with Limerick and Tipperary, you know, down in Parkley Queen, that should have been a rage, etc. So, look, these decisions seem to pop up all the time. So, look, the question got asked is how do we support the referees? Like, what, what kind of processes do we put in place? And I know I mentioned about the income that the, the GEA had last year, uh, which is which is huge in, in, by all accounts. And, like, I know the referees get, they, they actually don't get paid. So, the, so to, be, to be clear, they don't get paid. They get expense like any other. So, they're only getting kind of. The money is, is aimed at recuperating their loss for, for going for the day. Will that be probably fuel or, or, or food, etc.? So like, no, nobody is becoming an intercounty referee to try and make money from it. Basically. No, it's not. It's, it's, yeah. First of all, we don't have enough intercounty referees uh, at the minute. We don't have enough referees in general because I don't, I don't think the game itself, or even it's not very flashy, we're not enticing them to come. So, like, do we actually introduce, and I know we're an amateur organisation, but do we introduce referees getting, getting formally paid? Like, should championship referees get a sum on top of their expenses that'll probably entice referee growth and, and, and uptake from people of, you know, whether it be former players or players like who don't see themselves having a career in the game other than refereeing, etc. You know, Would you stop then at the end of the national panel? So you'd effectively have, I don't know, for want of a better phrase, you'd almost have like a professional national panel of referees. Yeah, I would have a, a panel is the right word to use. Uh, whether you call them professional or not is a different story. Yes, if they're getting paid for their service so there is a degree of professionalism too but it'd be kind of semi-based hmm. um, but I would aim it towards also like I, I do think we're at the situation whereby we need either A umpires trained or B we need two more linesmen or a second referee now I know it's a phrase very broad I'm not, I'm not saying every one of them so, but I do think we need either a second referee we need two more linesmen we just need more eyes on the pitch because referees with the vastness of the hurling pitch like it's probably it's, it's the biggest sports field you know, it's the biggest field sport, bar the AFL. The AFL have numerous referees. You know, the NFL have loads of referees. 
And so then like soccer, obviously you have, and the rugby have the GMO and the VAR, etc. So it's all aimed at providing a sports structure to referees. And I, I just think we're, we're going to sit here in a couple of months' time and I guarantee you there's going to be a situation whereby there's going to be a decision made or not made that will influence the, the result in the game and potentially knock somebody out. You know, not physically, but knock somebody out of a championship. You know what I mean? Whereby, uh, for example, someone misses something or there's a stroke pulled or there's a major free or a penalty and it was a referee either being deceived or he missed something and next thing we're talking about a, a major instance. And it's just like, how do we be proactive and avoid that? Because I just don't think the referee in the Cork Dublin game deserved what, uh, what was said about him online. Paul, how do you respond to the first session of what grinds scales gears? <laughs> it's going to be a long year. It was very, very <laughs> comprehensive. I don't want to draw him out anymore in it, but uh, no, no, I'd agree with him. Um, after, you know, even having this conversation um, while there isn't any main events in hurling that we're, we're drawn, you know, reference to uh, I think Larry McCarthy even referenced it himself actually in his in his speech at Congress that about assistant referees um, I think maybe that maybe that uh, encouraged you to I'm not sure but no I'd agree with you like you know if we are saying it's the fastest field sport in the world and all these other sports that have time and have breaks in their game to even assess these things but you know if anything our referees um, don't have they obviously don't have the same um, facilities to do that. They don't have the same assistance, but it, the game is faster. You know, it does It does kind of seem to contradict itself that way. Um, and, and I think particularly, again, obviously we're only talking about inter-county games where, you know, we should have the facilities there to be able to provide X amount of referees. But I do understand that at the moment, maybe we don't have the, the numbers at the moment. But, you know, even if we were to implement it, um, at a stage of the championship where we know we have a more, I suppose the matches have thinned down a small bit and we have a more concentration of referees that can be actually provided for games. I don't, I don't think anything that, you know, um, anything that will help the referee, you know, should be ruled out here. We, we spoke a while back again of, you know, the rule being brought in for if you tackle a player and it's a black card and it's a sim bin for 10 minutes and it's, you know, whatever, 25 yards from the goal. But, at no stage did we even think about drawing lines on the pitch to help the referee there. You know, he already has a hard enough job. He or she has a hard enough job. But that's, I think, anything there that we decide actually this could assist the referee and take the blame off them again because they're only implementing the rules. And like James said, I'd hold my hands up. You know, we all give out, unfortunately, at times during games, you feel the decision went against you. But these people are only implementing the rules. And I think anybody that anything that assists them and takes any potential blame also of their hands once the game is over, I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah, and I never knew Skell was going to bring this up because it happened about four days ago. I was talking to a former inter-county referee and I asked about Tom Ryan's comments after the annual report came out where he was asked about, you know, formulating the substitutions and maybe, you know, some reforms and tidying up of the processes uh, for referees. And he said that they wanted to try and keep a consistency from a junior football match in Kerry right all the way up to an All-Ireland final. And the referee of a song has said, that's complete nonsense. At the moment, it's already different between, um, say, a club within a county and a fixture outside, down to the point that you might not have neutral linesmen at some of the games. You may well have umpires coming in from the host club who are going to be behind the goals. He was saying it's already inconsistent as things stand. So just to Scales' point, that if you were to bring in, say, a remuneration or additional payment for inter-county referees or additional supports for the inter-county game that wouldn't be available at club level, 
it's already being ref differently at club and intercounty level anyway. So that's just the response to that uh, from a referee when I asked him it. I was asked him purely actually around the idea of, you know, substitutions where one of the ways to clean it up potentially could be that the referee stops the game dead until the guy walks off and the next guy comes on, as opposed to the slightly fluid system that happens now where, um, you know, a piece of paper is handed in. Someone might not be totally off the pitch. This is obviously all after the All-Ireland Club football final. But he was saying, look, if they want to bring that in, it just means the club officials have to slow things down a bit. And if he has to watch a guy literally walk off the line before play continues, that's what he's going to have to do. So he was saying, look, you can't be uh, trying to legislate for absolutely everyone because there's already changes in the system anyway. So that's the first ever uh, Skell Grinds My Gears or What Grinds Skell's Gears. We'll, we'll get a better formal name on it for next week. That's one where we won't attract questions. I think every week now, Skell has to come up with something independent that pissed him off uh, for the week before. Yeah. Ma- massive credit, by the way. There was not one single swear, so the swear jar is actually empty this week. I got through the whole part of the other person. Yeah, you kind that's of half cool. got there at one of them. You were that, that's growth. That's growth. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think maybe be proud. Really? <laughs> uh, I, I think we have a sponsor on board with the podcast next week, so we no longer need Skell Swear Jar. Uh, so we'll use that for a few points at the first road show of the year. Uh, we'll put that together, but we're not going to need to keep the show on track. Lads, it's been a pleasure as always, even though we weren't looking at Hurling from last week. It was a chance to maybe chat about the state of the game right now. And uh, we'll chat again for next week's episode after weekend three of the Hurling League next week. Cheers, Thanks, lads. See you, boys.